If you were going to summarize the Bible, what would you say that it is? If you just had a, a sentence or two to describe the book, the Bible, how would you describe it? What would you say about it? Well, that'd be kind of challenging because it's a very diverse book, of course, and there's a lot involved. But would you agree with me if I said the Bible can be described as a book full of God's love for mankind? A book that describes the abundant evidence of God's love for his creation and specifically for man that he has created. I think that would be at least one way to describe the Bible because it is certainly that. The Bible is just absolutely packed full of stories about God's dealing with men and showering blessings upon mankind. The Bible is full of that. In fact, uh, God is even described as love. God is love, the Apostle John said. That's what God is, and the Bible tells the story about that. Now, having said that, we must also acknowledge the fact that the Bible is a book also full of stories about people who ended up being lost because they rejected his love and blessings. God makes these blessings, the, the sign of his love is there for all, and yet, unfortunately, throughout the history of time, there have been so many who have rejected his, loves and, his love and blessings. Think of just a, a, a couple of three examples of that. For instance, think all the way back in the Old Testament to the time of Noah. Here in the time of Noah, only eight people were saved out of all of mankind. Only eight persons were saved when the great flood came upon the earth. And so God loved mankind. God made blessings available for all. But all, with the exception of Noah and his family, had rejected God's love and blessings and were punished because of it. They were lost. In the book of Exodus, we've been studying in the book of Exodus in our Wednesday night Bible study, we talked about how the children of Israel rejected God's promise to help them occupy the promised land. They believed the report of the ten spies and refused uh, to believe that God would bless them uh, with uh, entrance into the promised land. And so what happened? I think if my numbers are right, you can check me on this, but I think that there were 603,000 fighting men in Israel at that time. So um, among the, the warriors, the fighting men of Israel numbered 603,000. Obviously, there were a lot of women and children and so forth. How many of that 603,000 fighting men were saved? All were lost except two as they wandered in the wilderness, right? And so again, there are a lot of stories like that. In the reading that Mike read for us earlier, Jesus himself said, and we'll look at this verse a little more particularly uh, in a few minutes, but in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said that in eternity the majority will be lost and only a minority will be saved. And so the question that we want to talk about this morning is how is that so? God is a great God of love. But historically, we've seen so many who have been lost, and the indication is that even in eternity, so many will be lost. Despite of all of God's love, men are still being lost. And so we are going to ask the question, why are there so many lost? Why uh, so many are lost is because of several different factors that we want to look at briefly in our lesson this morning. Why are so many being lost? What's the cause of that? Before we get further into our study... Uh, we want to stop to say thank you for being here. As Jack already mentioned, we're very grateful for the presence of everyone, a number of visitors, a number of visiting family members, 
We're glad that you're here this morning, and we always appreciate seeing you. We want you to come back every time you can. Of course, we also love to see our own members here at College View. It's like a big family, and we're grateful for that. We're glad for the chance to be together. As we study together this morning and as we worship, please pay careful attention to what's being said and done. We're trying to do everything just like the Bible teaches. If you see some problem in that, by all means, bring it to our attention so we can study that out. And if correction is needed, we promise we'll make that correction. We simply want to be doing Bible things in Bible ways, and we encourage you to join us in that endeavor. All right, why so many are lost? What's the reason behind it? Well, let's start out by saying I think many are lost because they try to guide themselves spiritually. In religious matters, they're following their own devices rather than following the Word of God. For a number of years, many of you know that we lived up in East Tennessee, and we spent a good bit of time hiking and camping in the Smoky Mountains, and so we always paid attention to news that came from there. And in the National Park, in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, every year, there are people who get up there and get lost. And then they, then the, the authorities, the, the rangers and the other rescue people have to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars finding these people. They get lost. Why is it that those people get lost? Because the fact of the matter is they don't have to be lost. The trails up there are well marked and, and heavily used. I mean, you, you, you don't have to be a trailblazer to hike in the Smokies because the trails are used so often. If you just stay on the marked trails, you'll be okay. And then, of course, there are plenty of maps. You can buy books that, that map out every trail in the park, and the park service even gives away maps. I mean, there's no reason that you'd have to be lost if you just use the maps that are available. And now, of course... There's GPS, and many people have GPS even on their phones. You can, you can uh, access uh, you know, uh, electronic guidance to keep you from being lost. Why, did you, why do you need to be lost? Well, the only reason that you could say is those people get lost because they're just trying to guide themselves. They're not taking advantage of all the guidance that is available for them. Now, make the application spiritually. I think we can say that the same thing is true spiritually. Many are lost because they're trying to guide themselves in spiritual matters. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We can't do that. It's, it's not possible for us to know the right way to go on our own to map out and follow the right course that will make us right with God. If we try to guide ourselves, we're going to end up being lost. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, Moses said to the children of Israel, Ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Notice, he said, don't do this. Don't do what, Moses? Don't just do what you think is right in your own eyes. Well, wouldn't you agree that in our day and time, that is the majority opinion, and that's the common religious methodology. What seems right to me, this is what I think, and therefore since I think it, it must be okay, and I'm going to do this. Most people, unfortunately, are, are pursuing that kind of, uh, of a mindset when it comes to religion. Uh, they, they have not availed themselves of the guidance that comes from the Word of God. They don't much care what the Bible says. It's what seems right to them, what they think is okay. All the way back in the days of Moses, Moses said, don't do this. Don't do just what you think is right in your own eyes. 
In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It might seem right to you, but the wise man warns, the end of that is disaster. And so, I hope you would agree with me that many are lost because they are trying to guide themselves in their religious pursuits. It won't work. We need to look to the guidance that God makes available through His inspired Word. I would also suggest to you that many are lost because they are postponing obedience. Have you ever seen one of those surveys where they ask people, what is man's most dangerous habit? What do you think? Man's most dangerous habit. Well, there would probably be a lot of things on that list. It's very dangerous, for instance... Uh, unfortunately, we see people who get involved in alcohol and drugs, and that's a very dangerous habit to develop, very destructive to a person's life. Or sometimes people say, well, I think the man's most dangerous habit is smoking, the use of tobacco, because that ruins your health, and people suffer horribly uh, because they've spent years smoking cigarettes, for instance. Someone else says, well, I think in our day and time, Man's most dangerous habit is eating, eating too much. Now, I want to warn you, you're getting close to home now. You start talking about that, we're going to get a little sensitive. But we would have to acknowledge that uh, overeating is a health issue and it's becoming apparently a bigger problem. And so, yeah, that's a bad habit for sure. Someone said, i tell you the most dangerous habit. It's just developed recently and it's, it's this business of texting while you're driving. You know, there's been a lot of talk about that. I saw something recently where it said that texting on your phone while you're driving is more dangerous than drunk driving. Now, we know drunk driving is a bad thing, but they say you are more distracted and less capable of maintaining control of your automobile when you're texting. Someone says texting is a bad habit, very dangerous. Well, I'd be willing to acknowledge all of those things that we just mentioned are are potentially very bad habits, and all need to be avoided. But I believe that the man's most dangerous habit is the habit of procrastination, and in particularly procrastinating about doing what we know we ought to do in service to God. There may very well be, I think probably are, some in our assembly this morning who know that there are certain things they need to be doing to make their life right with God. Maybe some who know that they need to obey the gospel plan of salvation. It's very simple and straightforward, but you've been postponing doing that. Uh, that's a very dangerous thing. Or some who might be a, someone here might be a Christian already, but you've fallen away and you've not been faithfully serving the Lord, and yet you don't take the necessary steps to correct that. You're postponing that, procrastinating. Unfortunately, many in that situation, will end up being lost eternally because they put it off so long, they never got around to doing what was right. Many will be lost for postponing obedience. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know what your life will be tomorrow. You don't even know if you'll be living tomorrow. If you know the right thing to do today, you need to do it because you cannot be confident of tomorrow. James chapter 4, verse 14 says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. And so we would ask you the question this morning, are you postponing your obedience to God? Please understand that that's incredibly dangerous. If you know the right thing to do, do it. 
so that you will not be numbered among those who are lost in the final judgment because you just postponed too long. Do the right thing. Don't be lost. I would argue that there are many who will be lost because they refuse to walk in the narrow way. In Matthew chapter 7, that's the text that Mike read for us earlier. Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 13, Jesus said this. Now, this is not something that men dreamed up. Jesus himself said this. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. If you boil that down and rephrase that, Jesus would be saying simply the majority of people will be lost, the minority will be saved. And he says the way to life is a straight or narrow, constricted way. You've got to work at being in that right way to salvation. The way to destruction and eternal loss is wide, easy to pursue. The way to eternal life is restricted and narrow. And you have to seek it out and purposely pursue it. Unfortunately, there are just too many who won't walk in that narrow way. When you start to think about it, truth is a narrow thing. All truth really is narrow. For instance, when we, when we were in grade school studying arithmetic, and our teachers gave us an addition or a subtraction or a multiplication or a division question to answer on a test, there was only one right answer to that question. There weren't multiple answers. You, you couldn't, it, it, it was not the case that you could give any number of different answers and the teacher would have said, okay. That teacher was very narrow, wasn't she? She was very strict. It had to be the exact right answer. Mathematics is that way. What about, i tell you one that I had to struggle with. I had to struggle with spelling. You know, and for some reason... That teacher always insisted that the words be spelled just exactly like she said. She wouldn't allow any variation at all. The words had to be letter for letter, just like she said it should be. Very narrow. Truth is narrow. Truth is a narrow thing. Why is it that we imagine that in the most important area of all, truth is why? You can do anything you want. You don't have to worry about being specific or strict or on the mark. You can do anything you want. No, it's not true religiously either. Religiously, truth is also narrow. Religiously, we have to follow that narrow way. Jesus is the one who said straight is the way, narrow is the gate. And so, some are going to be lost. In fact, Jesus said the majority are going to be lost because they refuse to follow in that narrow way that leads to life eternal. We're calling upon all to understand this important point, that truth is narrow. We've got to do God's things God's way. We've got to speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible is silent. We have to be pursuing Bible authority in all things. The religious world at large has greatly ignored this, and I fear that many will be lost, as Jesus himself said would be the case, because they won't walk in the narrow way. Truth is narrow. We've got to be in it. I would argue also that if you're looking for contributing factors, what we're saying here is, unfortunately, historically, lots have been lost. Even though God has been abundant in His love and blessings, many have rejected those love and uh, those blessings and God's love. Uh, and all through history, we see that being the case. Uh, we, we reference Noah's flood. We reference the children of Israel. 
uh, why is it so that even today, many continue uh, in a direction that's going to lead them to eternal loss? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's going to contribute to it is, is false teachers. And it is just a sad reality that there are just a lot of false teachers religiously. Go back for a minute to what I was suggesting earlier. You remember our teachers in grade school were teaching us math and spelling and were very strict that it had to be right. What if in a school a teacher started teaching 2 plus 2 is 5? And and it wasn't just a mistake one day, but this teacher repeatedly kept teaching error in arithmetic. 2 plus 2 is 5. 5 plus 6 is 13. And she did this, this teacher did this consistently. Wrong answers to math problems. Well, what would happen? Well, first of all, I don't think that the administration would allow that to continue for too long. As soon as that was pointed out, that this, this teacher is given wrong math answers, I think that teacher would be reprimanded, probably lose her job. But what if it continued without being checked? What if no correction was ever offered? What would you have? You'd have a lot of kids growing up who didn't know the right answers to math. And think of how handicapped they would be as they went on in life having built their foundation upon an, on mathematic error. Well, that'd be a, that's a huge problem. I can tell you that's a huge problem. We cannot have Math teachers in school given wrong answers to math questions. It's just not tolerable because it's going to have bad consequences down the road, right? We all agree to that. What about people who give wrong answers to religious questions? What about people who teach error and falsehood concerning what the Bible says? That's even a greater problem, and yet for some reason people tend to think that it's not too important. We don't have to worry about that. We do have to worry about that. Jesus said... In John chapter 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You want to know how important the truth is, the religious truth? You want to know how important it is? It is absolutely essential to make you free. Free from what? Free from sin and its consequences. If you want to avoid the consequences of sin, you must know the truth. The truth is what will make you free. But, again, false teachers are a real danger and a problem John said, 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. It was a, prof- it was a problem then, and it continues to be a problem today. 2,000 years ago, when the Apostle John penned these words, it was a problem. There were false prophets going around. It continues to be a problem today. Many false teachers. So what? So it's our job then to try the spirits, whether they be of God. It, the burden is on us. Find out if they're telling us the truth or not. If you had a math teacher who was teaching you error mathematically, you'd have to identify that and get out from under the influence of this person who's trying to tell you wrong answers to math questions. What do you do religiously? You've got to find out, are these people speaking the truth? And if they're not, we must remove ourselves from the influence of those false teachers because they're going to meet, they're going to lead many to be lost. In 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 1, Peter said there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Always been a problem. Many are going to be lost under the influence of these false teachers. We've got to be on guard. We've got to be aware. Uh, Peter says they're going to bring in damnable heresies. And we see that even in our day. Even people in the name of religion bringing in all kinds of sin and perversion. Uh, it's still happening. And many will be lost because of the influence of false teachers. We need to be on guard. Finally, let me suggest to you, many will be lost, many are being lost, because of the problem of indifference or apathy. You heard that, that, that little boy who was asked to give a definition of apathy, and he said, I don't know and I don't care. And the teacher said, you're right, <laughs> that is what apathy is. Yeah, I don't know, I don't care. And again, we have that problem. We have many in religion who don't know and who don't care about the things of God and doing the things that God said to do in the right way. Even many who claim to believe in God are involved in this. They call themselves Christians, and yet they don't care, don't really care to know uh, what God's will is or to obey it. And And... They will be lost as a result of that. In Hebrews chapter 5, beginning verse 8, Though he were a son, talking about Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And then it goes on to say, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Uh, so the Hebrew writer was talking about Jesus. and talking about the great example that Jesus left. And he said, we got a lot of things we'd like to tell you about Jesus. A lot of lessons that we would want you to learn about him. But he says, we have a problem because you, he said, have become dull of hearing. There's a lot of lessons we'd like to tell you, but the problem is you've become indifferent and apathetic. And in that same context, he rebuked them because they were not growing and maturing spiritually. They were indifferent and apathetic. i got to tell you, I think this is a problem that maybe affects many of us, that, w- that we've allowed a, a, a degree or measure of indifference to infect our lives. Oh, we know the truth. Uh, We were talking earlier about false teachers. We can identify false teachers. That's not a problem to us. We've got that under control. But have we got this under control? That we're just apathetic, indifferent, not really committed, involved, and dedicated to the service of God. Many will be lost because of that. In Proverbs chapter 24, beginning verse 30, the wise man describes a lazy man in a physical sense I want you to uh, think about the spiritual application of these words. Proverbs 24, beginning verse 30, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. Here, I think clearly the proverb writer is talking about the problem of physical laziness. Just won't, just won't get out there and do what has to be done. But I would suggest to you that the same principle applies spiritually. If we're indifferent and apathetic, if we're lazy spiritually, then great destruction follows in its course. And so many, uh, even in the Lord's church, might be lost because they have just been indifferent about doing the important things that are needed in their spiritual life. So what are we saying? 
Well, it's historically true that though God loves man and has always provided an opportunity for abundant blessings beyond measure to man, the fact is that many have refused his love and blessings and many continue even this day refusing to accept what God offers by his love. The result of that, of course, is is the ultimate ruin, loss eternally in the final judgment. What's your situation this morning? Are you are you on a course that will lead you to be lost? If that's the case, we would encourage you to change that immediately. If it is so that you've never obeyed the simple gospel plan of salvation, uh, we would urgently plead with you to make that decision without delay. Upon hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're ready to make that obedience, we're ready to assist you in it this morning. If you need more study or help understanding what God would have you do, just say a word. We'd be glad to study with you uh, so that you can make an informed decision about this important matter. If you're a Christian already, though, but you've slipped back and not been faithfully serving your Lord, you know what you need to do, but you haven't been willing to make those changes in your life. We beg you to not postpone that any longer. Without delay, repent of your sins, confess your uh, sins. Uh, We can pray with you and for you as an erring child of God that you could be restored to a right standing with Him and leave this place justified in His sight once more through the blood of Jesus. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.